electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Big hour setting up. Amazon's going to break some news as we speak in a uh, direct challenge to Apple. Amazon's head of services and devices is coming up next. Later on, Dropbox's CEO, Drew Houston, in an earnings exclusive. And at the bottom of the hour, D, we expect to hear from the president about today's jobs number. Yeah, and Carl, tech stocks, they are higher as the 10-year sinks. Dow, S&P, record high. NASDAQ was on pace for its worst week since February until that jobs report came out. Now it is leading the way. The divergence that we've seen lately between big tech and speculative tech, that's now a little bit blurred as the entire sector gets a boost following that weak April number, John. Yeah, let's start now with the Amazon news, building out Amazon Sidewalk, its network designed to connect devices anonymously both in and out of the home and allowing people to share the network with others. Amazon announcing several new features this morning and partners. This reminds you of Apple's AirTags announcements recently. It should. It's a similar concept. Tile's going to join Amazon's Sidewalk platform in June. That's being announced today using Bluetooth to help locate lost items. Tile, of course, directly competes with Apple's AirTags. And then there's Level, a brand of smart locks for homes. It's going to use Sidewalk to directly connect with Ring's doorbell service. Amazon owns Ring. And then finally, Sidewalk adding Echo devices to the network. Amazon's head of devices and services, Dave Limp, is going to join us on these announcements in just a moment, Carl. We can't wait for that, John. In the meantime, turn back to earnings really quickly. Uh, what A bunch of numbers. Roku, Dropbox, Square, all out with strong results. Roku broke an eight-day losing streak this morning, up double digits today. Surprise profit, revenue beat, upbeat outlook are the chief catalysts there. Dropbox out with a beat of its own. The key metric, annual recurring revenue exceeding expectations. We'll talk to Drew Houston, as we said, in just a moment. And then Square, more than doubling the consensus estimate thanks to surging demand for Bitcoin and the use of its peer-to-peer -peer payment service cash app stocks in the green in what's been a strange d and eventful week for tech <laughs> it has indeed carl some of those mid cap names are in the green today but we did want to highlight what an ugly few weeks it has been for a momentum growth that trade kathy wood's arc innovation fund is currently breaking an eight-day losing streak but it is 30% off its 52-week high. Large-cap tech stocks and the more speculative tech found in the likes of ARC going in opposite directions. Carl tweeted it earlier. The market cap of FAAMG Fangham is now equivalent to the third largest GDP in the world. And we showed you this wall earlier this week. We updated it for today. You'll see that Coinbase has joined the top 10 of ARC's holdings. Uh, doing better this morning, but overall still lower over the last quarter. More on that this hour and this afternoon when Kathy Woods joins Closing Bell at 3 p.m., John. <laughs> F-A-A-M-G, fang. <laughs> it's like fang with your mouth full. All right, but let's turn back to huge news 
from Amazon, which is part of both Fang and FAMG. Uh, joining us now to discuss, Dave Limp, Amazon Senior Vice President for Devices and Services. Dave, this is Internet of Things, it's smart home, it's all of that together, and it's really a new type of network. Uh, what's the vision for it? What's it going to allow? And how long is it going to take to build out? Good to see you, John. Uh, yeah, Sidewalk is all about the next billion things that are going to get on the network. And, uh, you know, Wi-Fi is constrained and mostly to your home. It just doesn't have the range to go into your backyard, into the neighborhood. And cellular may be the future, but it's very expensive today. So Sidewalk kind of splits the difference between those two and allows us to put uh, you know, millions and billions of things on the edge of the network, but do it in a secure way that also allows us to update software on those so that you can ensure they'll have the latest software, they'll be secure, they'll be up to date without having to take your phone one at a time around to a billion different things, which is just unscalable. And this isn't about streaming HD video over Sidewalk, right? It's about a, a perhaps persistent but lower bandwidth uh, connection that's shared between devices. I mean, maybe my neighbor's device is, is set apart and, and I'm using part of that bandwidth, but anonymously it, it's secure, is that right? Exactly, it's very uh, long range, up to a half a mile in some cases, but very low bandwidth. And so uh, customers that opt into the network, they have the opportunity to share a small amount of their home bandwidth to be basically the backhaul of the network. And then it allows us to put things very low cost on the edge of the network to get software updates, to uh, be able to give telemetry about uh, what's going on around them. You know, to start, we, we've been experimenting with this for years with uh, rings path lighting. You know, it's just too hard to get Wi-Fi out to you know, the extent of your yard. You don't want to run a bunch of wires. And now you can synchronize your lights. And another one we experimented with, which is my favorite, a little old school, but it's a sensor you can put in your mailbox. And it just tells you when your mailbox is open. It's great for me. It knows when the mail comes. But also makes your neighborhood safer because of identity theft. If somebody's going to go and try to uh, pillage your mail, it gives you an opportunity to know that's happening as well. Now, Apple's trying to do a version of this with iOS devices. It's got a bunch of devices that have the same operating system, uh, similar software. Uh, they announced AirTags, which works with that. Why is this better than that? Yeah, I, I don't know everything that Apple's planning, certainly, but as what I've seen them announce is really a network that's focused on finding things. And that's not really the long-term goal of what Sidewalk is. It can do that, but it's much more than that. It actually has a network that has bandwidth associated with it. It's very long distance, uh, has good coverage, and it allows people to invent whole new types of devices that will sit on this network that are much lower cost than customers have had and allow it to be uh, secure and get, get data updates. And, and when you think about the world, our world five years, 10 years in the future, there literally are gonna be billions of connected things. And we, we need to make sure that they are safe and secure. Dave, good morning. It's Deirdre. You know, what you've been talking about, ease and coverage, accessibility, that's all good, but it usually costs the user in terms of data, potentially privacy, in ways that we can't really see at the beginning. Um, the privacy landscape right now, as you know, is changing to give users more control. And when you introduced Sidewalk, Amazon said that it would be enabled by default. Why do it that way, not give customers the chance to opt in or opt out from the very beginning? Well, there's sort of two levels of opt-in. We, we turn the network on for all customers and allow them to opt out. That is correct. But when we, uh, we have a separate opt-in, which is a customer has to choose actively for location. 
So I would separate those two to, to share locations. So I would share those two things separately. But on top of that, I think the most important thing about this is to get great coverage. And what one of the things we're talking about here today is that in the top 25 metro areas, uh, with and we gave notice to customers, we've lit up and we have great coverage in those first 25 metro areas. And uh, it's it's great to see. And we think the benefit for customers will will show a lot on based on these new devices that we announced today, things like Tile and CareBand. Okay, then talk a little bit about some of the privacy controls. I know that Amazon did a white paper on this, and you guys are invested heavily in protecting user privacy, but we have seen missteps um, and sort of breaches over the years. So how are you guys tackling this when it comes to sidewalk and making things more accessible and more coverage? Yeah, we thought about that. And that's why we've spent the last two years designing the network and put that white paper out publicly so we could get peer reviews on, uh, is this actually secure as we think it is? And we didn't want to take our own word for it. We wanted to make sure the pundits and experts would be the same. But a couple of the things that are in there, uh, first and foremost, is we have no idea. It's a very open network. Any developer can can onboard onto it. And Amazon has no idea what the payload that is that's going across the network. Uh, secondly, when uh, when devices register to the network, they are anonymized from the actual customer that is associated with that device. And then finally, we've made it such that we actually purge all the devices that are on the network in our databases uh, every 24 hours. So even the anonymized device itself, we can't go back in time and, and see any of that as Amazon. There's many more features built into the network, but that's three of the uh, large ones that we think are really protecting customers and also developers that want to use the network. Uh, Dave, catch us up on what has happened with devices and services during the pandemic. I'm especially curious about Key by Amazon, which is the type of service that perhaps gets more powerful uh, through Sidewalk. How have the adoption trends been? Uh, how have some of the devices and services that you oversee connected to the e-commerce experience uh, of Amazon? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously nobody wants to benefit from a pandemic, but but our homes, uh, I think we mentioned this last time, have just been redefined in this situation. They're, they're now our movie theaters. They're now our restaurants. In my case, they're our school for three children. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's just changed what the home looks like. And kind of across the board of all the devices, because we've been pretty focused on the home for the last six years, uh, have have seen uh, amazing trends. Uh, you know, you mentioned TV in the intro here today. Fire TV has been growing by leaps and bounds. It's well over 50 million customers. And I think, you know, the cutting the cord trend has been accelerated by two to three years. And uh, streaming is up that much. In Alexa, uh, the usage of Alexa is up 50% year over year as people use it for homework help as they think about uh, how they want to shop now. Now over 50% of uh, Alexa customers are using uh, Alexa to help them shop in some way. And, uh, you know, because of the announcement today, you know, Ring is also just up uh, dramatically. It's now uh, well over uh, 10 million subscribers, which we think is just a great milestone. But it just mm. continues to grow every day as people are looking for peace of mind uh, within the pandemic. I, you know, the number of anecdotes is is uh, is uh, really large across the surface area of the products we've been working on. But but specifically related to something like key people are home, so maybe they don't need that uh, re remote monitoring of delivery, has that affected adoption? No, actually, I think people are finding the convenience of not necessarily having somebody come to the front door, especially garage delivery is, is growing really fast. 
And we just launched a week or two ago the ability to do grocery delivery uh, directly in your garage. And so without you having to have something left out on your doorstep, uh, if you're off maybe on a call like this, or you're helping your kids with homework, or you're out, we can just leave the groceries or any other packages directly in your garage. So Key's been uh, growing by leaps and bounds uh, as well. All right. And now Sidewalk, adding partners, a new frontier for the Internet of Things and the smart home. Dave Link, uh, Senior Vice President, uh, Devices and Services at Amazon. Thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, just a reminder, we got uh, more on digital online on this story. So check that out on Tech Checks page. Carl? In the meantime, Elon Musk's SNL debut is tomorrow night. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Are you excited? Are you anxious? Send us the best memes you've seen at CNBC Tech Check, and we'll check in with your commentary at the end of the hour. Dee? Meanwhile, our uh, meme producers are killing it today. Uh, still lots ahead on the show. Dropbox CEO Drew Houston is up next. We are just getting started here on Tech Check. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Let's get a gut check on Etsy. Uh, hits a six-month low yesterday, although rebounding a bit today, 4% after warning of slowing growth. Stiefel has finally seen enough. They go to buy this morning, calls it a good time to get in after Thursday's sell-off. Uh, meantime, NASDAQ up about 1-4. That's the best day in a couple of weeks, D, but it's the worst week for the NAS in about two months. Yep, key contacts, Carl. And shares of Dropbox, take a look there, up this morning, up just under 2%. The company reporting quarterly earnings beating the street's expectations. With us now in a CNBC exclusive is Dropbox CEO Drew Houston. Drew, good morning. Thanks for joining us. First time on Tech Check. Yeah, good morning. Great to be here. So solid quarter. You guys raise guidance, paying users. They continue to grow, but paying users still a fraction, less than 3% of your 700 million registered users. And that's been a pretty consistent ratio over the years. Is that one that investors should expect to continue? Or can you sort of convert more of those free users to paid ones? Uh, well, the fact that we have such a large base of free users is a big opportunity. And we're doing a lot of things to uh, continue to offer more to our customers, including uh, well, we've made a lot of progress. We had a great quarter, a profitable quarter, um, making had, we're building positive momentum uh, across the business. And uh, the shift to distributed work has opened up even more opportunity for us. So work from home has accelerated several trends that we're well positioned to address. And we're seeing uh, it's been great. For, there, there was seeing the rise of uh, the freelance economy, spikes in rich media and video content. 
more business is shifting to cloud. So uh, a lot of positive momentum. Yeah, I want to talk about that, the rise of the freelancer economy, because over the years, you guys have moved deeper into the enterprise space, but of course, really started as a consumer product and still has some of those great qualities. So can you capitalize on that muscle or are you to take advantage of the freelancer and the creator economy that we're talking about more and more here on CNBC? And do they pay? I guess that's a good question, too. Yeah, um, well, it plays to our strengths and actually our consumer roots have uh, been a big advantage because we can reach this big audience. We can acquire these customers profitably. Uh, and it's, it, and we've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of increased usage. So it's been great for help. The last year has been great for HelloSign. E-signature requests are up over 75% since the start of the pandemic. And then for the creative, uh, the creator economy, we've seen a, a 30% increase in our pro skew. So these are folks that are sharing video, doing new workflows there, starting their own businesses. Um, so we're really well positioned because we can we can reach having hundreds of millions of registered users means that we can reach those customers cheaply. And in a lot of ways, we're applying the consumer internet playbook to business software. Right. And some of those Drew, you know, uh, for larger customers platforms. Go ahead, Carl. Okay, I, I will take it. Um, I was just going to say that perhaps as you see creators find different ways to monetize, that could trickle through to what you guys see as well. But uh, you did mention that move to remote work and Dropbox has really been a company that embraced it early and sort of fully. But it does stand into in stark contrast to what we've heard from some other CEOs like JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon earlier this week. He said he's fed up with Zoom, with remote work, and <laughs> he thinks that commuting to offices will make a comeback. What do you think he's getting wrong here? Well, I think uh, well, different companies are going to choose different models, right? Um, we're, we're excited for things to open up. We're rolling out a model we're calling virtual first, and, and we're really leaning, leaning into this because, um, I mean, I agree. Uh, with uh, J.P. Morgan CEO, I think we're there's a lot of room for improvement in the experience of remote work, but it also has a lot of benefits. And when you talk to employees, uh, they really appreciate a lot of the flexibility. They don't want to go back to the way things were before. Um, that said, we've all been in lockdown, and I think we all uh, understand there's no substitute for the in-person experience, and we're looking forward to bringing that back. Um, so we're, we've been really thinking ahead about our model. So we call it virtual first. And basically the goal of virtual first is, is to get the best of the in-person and remote experience. And we're, we're rethinking the office. So when you focused and solo work happens at home, and then we're repurposing the office or reimagining it to be this collaborative convening space. And so you get the best of both worlds. So we're, we're excited to get this rolled out more broadly. I think we're all looking forward to things opening up a little bit more. And we're looking forward to helping our customers. Yeah, through, I was going to say, it's that a re reimagination uh, about the workplace that a lot of people are paying attention to what it does for corporate CapEx and all the savings they'll have on real estate and what the bandwidth it creates for, uh, for other types of things in, involving IT. I just wonder how you're thinking about that as a potential tailwind for the company. Sure. Well, I mean, we're seeing it today. So HelloSign, again, is up. The signature requests are up 75%. Uh, fortunately, Dropbox is the kind of product that people are using for lockdown, during lockdown, continue to need it after lockdown. Um, and as I think we're all experiencing, there's a lot of room for improvement uh, in the experience of working remotely. We, need, we have a new working model. We need new tools. And so 
in addition to our growing product portfolio, we have a lot of new ideas in terms of how we can improve, how, how we can uh, address a lot of the new pain points that we have in working from home, make it easier to organize your content around projects and meetings, uh, growing our, docu our, our portfolio of products like HelloSign and DocSent. Yeah, Drew, um, you know, you guys, Dropbox has been part of um, the cloud group that investors have really responded to over the last year, but it hasn't exactly been a momentum play. Your, your gains have been sort of in line with the S&P, especially this year. And I just wonder, how can you create more shareholder value, value? Excuse me. You've talked about the strength of HelloSign. I asked you this last quarter. Any plans to break this out to kind of show that growth and, you know, if it is profitable? Absolutely. I mean, that's certainly our goal. Um, we see a bright future for ourselves and our business is doing well. Uh, we have a lot of opportunity. We have a growing product portfolio. And unfortunately, we have been seeing uh, a lot of positive momentum in the stock and, and with investors. Um, I, I don't think we fully realized it. Uh, we're also buying our stock. So um, it's a buying opportunity. But we think that uh, if we take care of our customers, the stock price will take care of itself. That's a good point, Drew. I'm glad you touched on that. You guys did uh, buy back more stock. Last question for you. Um, you've been on the Facebook board for over a year now, and I just wonder your view. Why did the company have to appoint an entirely separate board, the oversight board, to oversee content issues? How involved is the actual board? Well, I can't get into a lot of specifics uh, being on the board, but they wanted an independent group that could help uh, arbitrate some of these decisions. And they've spoken a lot about that. Okay. okay, Drew, we will leave it there. Thank you again for joining us. We hope to talk to you soon. Drew Houston, awesome. CEO of uh, Dropbox. Now, are we seeing the ARC comeback? Kathy Wood's ARC funds and smaller, more speculative stocks got flooded this week, but they're seeing a major recovery after the jobs report. Is this a hiccup or the start of a turnaround? Tech Check breaks down spec tech next. Speaking of which, don't miss Kathy Wood this afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Closing Bell and another CNBC exclusive. We're right back after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. It is a heck of a Friday. Jobs report was a big miss, but stocks are rallying. Nonetheless, S&P record high, Dow record high. The Nasdaq and tech, though, are outperforming uh, up more than 1%. Fangs higher. It's a bit of a reversal of the trend that we've seen the last few weeks. And at the top of the indices, names like Peloton, Match, Okta, Zoom, and others. Financials and energy are the laggards today. Let's get a news update and turn to Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Here's what's happening at this hour. As you just mentioned there, jobs growth slowed sharply in April. Employers added only 266,000 new positions, about a quarter of what was expected. It was the biggest miss since 1998. The unemployment rate also rose to 6.1%. That's Is the first increase in a year. Now, initially, bond and gold prices jumped on that news, but they've trimmed their gains. Stocks are rising with the S&P and the Dow Industrials both setting new all-time highs. The Dow is up for its fifth day in a row. 
And the White House says that a course correction is not needed following that weak employment report. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh dismissing the idea that stimulus checks are keeping people out of the labor force. He says that millions of Americans are still out of work. Under normal circumstances, and certainly we're not living in normal circumstances, a 266,000 job gain a month is a good number. Uh, unfortunately, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. And we, if you look back on the last three months, we've, the, the, the United States economy has added 500,000 per month, 500,000 new jobs per month, as compared to the previous three months where it was 60,000. So we, we're definitely going in the right direction. And President Biden is expected to add his comments on the jobs report in just a few moments. But, Carl, we're also hearing from uh, some very critical Republican leaders as well. So it's likely to be the uh, talk of the town today. I'll send it back to you. Uh, it definitely heating up, Rahel. Uh, well said. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. It's been an interesting couple of weeks for Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund. We've been monitoring some of the outflows, obviously down quite a bit, a third of its value from the 52-week high. But a little bit of a respite today. Dom Chu's been watching that. Dom? I mean, that 52-week high, Carl, was a record high. And, and obviously, the ARK Tech Innovation ETF has been a huge focus for many momentum-based traders and investors out there who are looking for that extra outperformance over the overall market. Now, it's hard to to find any kind of a benchmark or comparison for that particular fund, but we will look at the NASDAQ composite and specifically the NASDAQ 100 and some of the stocks that track there. If you look at the ARK Innovation ETF over the course of the last 12 months, it's actually almost doubled in price, even with the pullback, versus the Invesco QQQ Trust, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, which is up a very respectable 52% during that same time span. But now let's fast forward and just focus on the year-to-date period right over here where the chart looks much different. The white line is the, tar- the ARK Innovation ETF. And as you can see, it's been outperforming for the better part of the first part of the year. And now that white line is now drifted below the orange line, which is the ARK Innovation ETF versus the Invesco QQQ Trust, which, which tracks the NASDAQ 100. That underperformance is what's capturing a lot of attention. And right now we're at a battleground because that Arctech Innovation ETF is sitting right around its 200-day average price or longer-term trend line. Take a look, though, at some of the stocks that are kind of in focus when we talk about these two particular benchmarks or ETFs. First of all, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft. You know them because they're the three biggest stocks in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ as well. So the NASDAQ 100 being driven in part by that in large part by that. Over the last year, you can see there's some big outperformance. However, it's here where things have kind of leveled out a little bit. But that's the outperformance, because take a look at these three stocks, which are the three most heavily weighted stocks within the ARK Tech Innovation ETF. That's Tesla, Roku, and Teladoc. Over the last year, Teladoc's actually down over the last one-year period now. You can see a precipitous drop in that green line down here versus Tesla and Roku as well. So as we take a look at some of the driving factors, guys, behind this outperformance in the NASDAQ, it's simply because these mega-cap technology names have not fallen as far as some of these high-growth, high-momentum names over the last year during the pandemic. Certainly a dynamic to watch, guys. You know, Dom, it's interesting. Uh, Goldman has an index of what they call it non-profitable tech. Uh, and the line for that index is a very tight correlation with ARC. And I guess some people wonder, you know, what do you, why are we paying for beta? Uh, on the other hand, uh, she did see trends long before some others that made a lot of money. You know, it's very funny that you bring that up, Carl, and we didn't even have a chance to talk earlier this morning about this. I had a top performing small cap manager 
literally text messaged me this morning talking about correlations between that Arctech Innovation ETF and some of the underlying holdings. Joe Kernan had brought it up on Squawk Box, this idea that there could be wider ripple effects between this particular ETF and some of the stocks that kind of underlie it. Those correlations or statistical trackings, if you will, to, to what's happening overall have been very interesting with regard to how ARC Innovation has performed because it has now become a proxy or in some ways a, a way to express a view just on straight momentum technology stocks. Goldman has a basket for just about everything these days, but to look at that particular dynamic and when you talk about statistical correlations, that's going to be something to watch there because if you look at names like Peloton, Roku, Square, others, some of them are held by the innovation ETF and some of them aren't. Still, though, they are starting to trade a lot more closely alike. It may actually signal perhaps that there is more algorithmic or, or kind of systemic trading involved in some of these names, something to, to keep an eye on, guys. And, Dom, um, you know, we have been calling it this bifurcation between spec or momentum tech and some of the more value names, but you could maybe argue that there's a trifurcation. I don't know if that's a word, but you see, you know, the likes of Dogecoin and Ether, some of the most speculative parts of the market continue to go up while, you know, speculative equities take a breather. So where does crypto fit in? I, I don't know if you can answer that question. No, no. I mean, for, so first of all, I don't think anybody can answer that question. What you can do is take a view <laughs> on that question, right? You can, you can, I don't want to say gamble because it's not that. I'm sure people out there, traders, are making decisions, calculated decisions about risk and reward in this kind of environment. But to your point, where does crypto fit into this whole thing? It, it depends. When you have a, a situation where now even 50% gains over the course of a period are not good enough for you because you're seeing other people out there making 100 to 200, 300, 400% gains elsewhere. And I don't even want to go to where Dogecoin is right now. If you see those types of things, you start to see a profit chase in fact, right? It's not that everyone maybe goes all in. True believers perhaps will go all in on some of these cryptocurrencies, but you can certainly start to see traders take calculated bets position sized appropriately to try to capture some of that outperformance, especially when you look at Ether, which is up 375% on a year-to-day basis. That's way better than the ARC Tech Innovation ETF, which has become that momentum-based proxy for a lot of trading in equities right now. So it, it may be just to be about a, a new paradigm, perhaps, Deirdre, in the way that traders approach this. And remember, it used to be that speculative traders had specialties. Now you're finding traders who may be traded in growth and momentum equities looking at other places in the market because they think that there are, there are opportunities there. And that's certainly going to be something that maybe, maybe leads to tears down the line. I don't know yet, but for right now, the momentum <laughs> is certainly to the upside. Yeah, Dom, 10,000 maniacs said these are days you'll remember. Yeah, you'll remember for yeah, sure. More than 10,000 maniacs in crypto these days. All right, Dom, thanks. We mentioned Square just a moment ago, but take another look at this stock. That 266% jump in revenue, thanks in part to 3.5 billion in Bitcoin revenue alone, boosting the stock this morning with shares up now about 6.5%. Speaking of transactions on a smaller scale, Twitter introducing a tip jar feature for users' favorite creators. I know what you're thinking though, I'm not accepting tips. Uh, some kinks in the system, particularly when it comes to PayPal. Tips on tipping, next, so stay with us. No need to throw up your Venmo or cash app handle after going viral on Twitter anymore. The social media site adding a tip jar feature, which lets users send cash directly to their favorite creators from an icon in a user's profile. Payment options include Bandcamp, 
Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, and more. Twitter is solely using third-party payment processors and says it won't be taking a cut. Right now, the service is only available to English language users who fall in the category of journalist, creator, expert, or nonprofit. But plans are in the works to expand who has access. Carl and John, uh, this is when it gets really interesting, in my view, to have the same person, Jack Dorsey, be the CEO of Square and Twitter. Clearly, he's been a pioneer in the payment space, but he's letting his competition participate in this. Uh, makes me really curious to see what the end goal of this and will it end up benefiting both companies, John? Yeah, it seems like they could have taken a little bit of a cut. It's not like Twitter's swimming in revenue, Carl. But there's a hiccup here that I saw on Twitter. Uh, someone saying, hey, if you use PayPal as an option, it exposes the address of the person accepting the tip. Now, you know, for some journalists, I don't know, that, that might be a little bit of an issue. Yeah, I got invited yesterday. It's not something I would use. Uh, we all work pro bono here, at least I do, uh, John. On but Twitter, I do you wonder mean, uh, who's going to use on it. Twitter. On not, Twitter, yes. Not on for, Twitter. Not for the this. The tip jar itself. Yeah, not for this. But I can imagine there are there are accounts that I rely on heavily that I would ha be happy to, to tip. And I, I do wonder if it might even draw a little uh, engagement from people who maybe haven't uh, onboarded yet, who figure maybe I can make at least a marginal amount of income. Yeah, you know, the, uh, there's that. I'm sure they'd be happy, a lot of these folks on Twitter, to, to tip D and then to visit. Yeah, and, and you know what? Last word on this. I think it's really interesting what we've seen just more broadly out of Twitter over the last few months. Uh, more experimentation, more innovation. You've got the tip jar. You've also got spaces. You've got uh, no crop pictures. Uh, so Dorsey and his team have been hard at work, John. Yes, yes, indeed. Now, moving on, uh, yesterday after an earnings report, I spoke to OpenTech CEO Mark Baranchet, and one of the things we talked about, even beyond the results, and they did see growth, is the patterns of trade and how trade, uh, manufacturing in particular, moving more outside of China, particularly if the items that are being made are to serve a market other than China itself. Take a listen. If you're servicing the market in greater China, uh, your supply chain needs to be in China. If you're servicing um, Asia, Asia Pacific, your supply chain doesn't need to be in China. And the pandemic has also shown that, you know, when we're in the Great Recession, so, uh, after the Great Recession, supply chains changed to just in time. You know, lots of visibility through the layers. What we're seeing today is regionalization of supply chains. We're not going to be dependent on a country for a component. The one area, Carl, uh, industry that did not rebound as strongly yet for them is automotive. We talked about the chip supply issues there. Uh, we talked about it, Mark and I did, after earnings. You can check out that stream on the Tech Check account uh, on Twitter. Uh, it, it is still there. Lots of insights from OpenText, which is kind of a digital connective tissue in so many of these supply chains, Carl. Uh, John, uh, good stuff. In the meantime, uh, DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins is going to join us next in a Tech Check exclusive. Stock has gotten down to 49 today. That's close to the lows of the year. Uh, the three stocks to buy ahead of Apple's next iPhone launch. That content you can find on CNBC Pro. Tech Check is back in a minute. 
As we mentioned before the break, shares of DraftKings down about 4% here after a smaller-than-expected loss in a revenue beat. They do raise their full-year sales guide uh, after benefiting from some recent acquisitions. Joining us this morning is DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins. Jason, welcome back. It's great to have you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. We, we mentioned the smaller-than-expected loss, the revenue beat, the raising guidance. We all know sports is coming back. Can I just ask why you think we're seeing the price action we're seeing this morning? You know, I've uh, lost any sort of, uh, you know, faith that I can ever accurately predict any short-term fluctuations in the stock market or our stock. So we just continue to focus on what we think is the right thing to do over the long term strategically uh, continue to focus on consistently uh, meeting or beating expectations. And I think if we do those things, then shareholders will reward us over the long term. And, um, you know, it's always important to focus on what you can control so we don't pay a whole lot of attention to what moves the stock up or down in the short term. Yeah. Monthly uniques um, up 114. Uh, obviously, uh, the mobile sports book, uh, DFS. Uh, and the season at large, uh, as this economy reopens, I guess, can you put into perspective the, the, the tailwinds that you're expecting for the rest of the year relative to where we thought we were going to be, say, about six months ago? Well, you saw some of that in Q1. We had an incredible quarter, um, really just, you know, hit on all cylinders and uh, so happy with all the metrics and results that we delivered. We also did a ton on the strategic relationship side, a lot of products that we released. We have some upcoming social features, which I think are going to be game changing. So lots of exciting things in Q1 and lots of exciting things coming. And, you know, as far as the rest of the year goes, I think that as you see people, you know, hopefully return to more of whatever normal looks like, um, you know, we haven't seen any adverse impacts so far as more vaccinated people get out and about. Obviously, we think we had some benefit from, you know, more of stay at home and things like that. Um, but so far, we haven't seen any loss of momentum. So, uh, we're certainly being appropriately cautious about what that could look like, but uh, everything we're seeing in the data suggests that strong momentum is continuing, and uh, we you know, feel like we are well lined up to have a great uh, last few quarters of the year. Hi, Jason. It's Deirdre here. Um, I have a broad question for you. Legalization of gambling is now producing billions of dollars in tax revenue that was previously unrecognized. How can that, in your view, be best reinvested into the industry? What can it ultimately accomplish for the end user? Uh, well, first of all, I think we're still very early on. So uh, I think a lot of what we hope to, to do will be, you know, in terms of generating tax revenue will be over many, many years. And, you know, I think really at this stage, we're in the growth phase of the industry. New states are opening up multiple every year. We launched two last quarter, uh, Michigan and Virginia. And then we also had the, uh, you know, Iowa started to take mobile registrations, which really opened up the market, as noted on our previous earnings call. We had more registrations on, you know, I think five days, I want to say, in January than we had the previous 12 months in Iowa. So lots of exciting things happening with new states opening up. Even our longest tenured state, New Jersey, had really strong growth year over year. Uh, so, you know, everything seems to be really in a huge momentum phase right now in terms of the growth. And I think we're going to have a lot of great uh, years ahead of us. And right now it's all about investing and making sure that, you know, we get a healthy industry and one that has lots of satisfied customers that are uh, big fans of our products. Finally, Jason, um, we were just mentioning Kathy Wood's uh, ARC Fund, and she's going to be on our air later on today. Um, I just wondered uh, I, how CEOs 
uh, of companies uh, that she trades think about her and her sort of presence as a king maker these days? Do, how much of that of your bandwidth does that take up, if any? Well, I'm a great admirer of Kathy's. She's made a number of incredible calls. Um, I follow her on a personal level and uh, many of the things that she likes, uh, I look at and often invest in. So uh, I think she's really a, an incredibly smart person. She's obviously done extraordinarily well and, um, you know, very, very fortunate that she believes in us. I think that says a lot and, um, you know, we're very grateful for her support. Jason, um, congrats on the quarter. Uh, it's interesting days, and we were looking forward, obviously, to a, a great summer of sports. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So what we've learned during the first week of the Apple versus Epic trial, that's up next. But first, we did mention Roku. Keep an eye on that stock this morning. Luke likes the momentum, takes it to a buy-off. That's a prize, profit, and upbeat outlook. Shares up more than 12% this morning. A lot more tech checks straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. We are almost through the first week of the Apple Epic trial with plenty of interesting tidbits revealed in just the first four days. Like Tim Cook and Tim Sweeney haven't always been on a first name basis. Right, Josh Lipton? <laughs> so, John, the week started with opening arguments. Both sides clearly ready for battle here. Epic saying that Apple's 30% commission causes higher prices for consumers and that the App Store isn't as secure as Apple says. Apple firing right back, though, saying the App Store is secure and that Epic is only bringing this case because Fortnite, its bread and butter, isn't the powerhouse that it used to be. But Tim Sweeney, the billionaire CEO of Epic Games, then took the stand. People point out that for the occasion, he ditched his T-shirt and cargo shorts for an actual suit. That's how important this is. And he even made some news saying Fortnite now has 400 million players. And that's up from 350 million last May. Fun fact, by the way, as you mentioned, uh, John, judging by newly released emails, there was a time when Tim Cook wasn't even totally sure who Tim Sweeney was. In fact, the most interesting revelations this week maybe came out of documents that surfaced from both sides. For example, emails from Apple execs, including Steve Jobs himself, showing that even way back in 2011, there was tension between Apple and Facebook, with Jobs referring to Facebook as PC books saying it shouldn't be permitted to host its own apps. We even got a sneak peek behind the curtain at one point, the jockeying that can go on between big tech companies over money as Apple at one point considered different ways to try and convince Netflix to stick with in-app purchases. Back to you all. Yeah, this reminded me, Josh, that Tim Cook is such the buttoned down by the book CEO. And, you know, Steve Jobs, I mean, if he you know, had been around during this Twitter and social media era. I mean, yeah, he, he might have said Facebook. That might have been a, 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 a typo. But, man, he went after Adobe. Remember that? I mean, he might have been a Twitter terror yeah. under a different era. Yeah, listen, I mean, listen, a lot of this week, John, it's a lot of fun. It's personalities. It's players. You get the chance to peek behind a curtain. But, you know, let's not forget the real meat of this case here. This is an antitrust case. I caught up with Paul Swanson. He's an antitrust lawyer with uh, Holland and Hart. And as Paul mentioned, you know, listen, in order for Epic to win here, bottom line, past all these headlines, they have to, they have to convince this judge that Apple has a monopoly on its app store and that's abusing that market power by forcing Epic 
Epic to use Apple's payment system. And that will be no small feat because, as Paul reminds us, you know, antitrust cases have been very, very tough for plaintiffs to win. Back to you all. Yeah, well said, Josh. Thanks, Josh Lipton. As you all know, tomorrow night, Elon Musk is going to host Saturday Night Live. You'll get your, we'll get your final thoughts ahead of that debut next. Plus, it has been a tough week to be in the meme trade. GameStop, BlackBerry, AMC, Microvision, all down big for the week. We're going to watch that. Tech Check, back in two. Hi, I'm Elon Musk, and I'm hosting SNL This Week with musical guest Miley Cyrus. And I'm a wild card, so there's no telling what I might do. Same here. Rules, no thing. But it's also the Mother's Day show, so your moms are going to be here. Oh, forget what I said. Fine, we'll be good-ish. Somehow, uh, I wonder if that's the case. Well, tomorrow is the day, if you've been counting down, Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live. There could be an impact for investors, too, of course. Look at Dogecoin, higher again today and on an absolute tear in the lead-up to Musk's SNL debut. Actor David Spade tweeting out that he is buying the crypto asset before the show, and Elon Musk responding with a crying, laughing emoji. Musk also tweeting, guys, to invest with caution, a tone that we don't often hear from him, Carl. He doesn't hold back often. <laughs> um, everybody, enjoy the show. Uh, have a good Mother's Day. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.